Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's um, <clears throat> Monday night, and let me see if I can do the Parsha, take a shot at a part of it. Very One of my favorite Parsha, one of uh, very dramatic. Um, this is being sponsored by good friends in um, Columbus and in, and in Baltimore, the Pollocks. And they have the best of all reasons for sponsoring it. Let me uh, read the dedication tonight. My wife and I would like, this is from uh, uh, Paul and Kathy Pollock. We'd like to dedicate the podcast in honor of the engagement of Ahuva Morris, daughter Rabbi Henech and Mrs. Chaya Morris of Columbus, Ohio, uh, who, may I say, are old friends of mine, son of to Jeremy Pomerantz, son of Mr. Lance and Mrs. Lisa Pomerantz of Sayville, Long Island, New York, Rabbi Morris and his wife have been a major source for Torah education and observance in Columbus for more than two decades through his leadership as Rosh Kola of the Columbia Community Kolel, and through Mrs. Morris's teaching at the Kolel and at the Columbia Torah Academy, as well as a social worker, we wish them and the Pomerantz, Mazel, and Simcha now in the future. Signed, Kathy and Paul Pollock, and I would like to associate myself with that. Hannah, Morris, and I finally go back a long, long way, and I'm very, very happy. Uh, I mean, very, very happy on his daughter's engagement, and I wish them all uh, all the best, and uh, they should be Zohar to build a bias and Mithral, and all the other good things that go along with that. You know, uh, I won't go into more detail than that, but it's, it's a, I gave this announcement to my wife just to see her face light up. <laughs> so mazel tov to all. Uh, mazel tov to all. Now, um, let me take a look. We have in this part, of course, it's some Vayelach, you know, and you have the, uh, there's a lot of future predictions. Moshe says, when you'll hit rock bottom, then eventually you'll turn around. And you know, when you, when you experience the old Torah, then you'll turn around. And you'll start to repent, you'll start to reconsider. I've done this partially many times in podcasts in the past, I'm sure, and in other places. But the, one of the most striking aspects, of course, is the idea that God will circumcise the foreskin of the heart. That Mol Hashem is But what does it say exactly? It says that when all the curses and stuff hit you, you'll start to reconsider. And you'll repent. And then God will bring you back to the land of Israel. Right? Etc., etc., etc. And you'll actually be more prosperous than your predecessors. This is what you and I would call the third temple era or something like that. If you're of Cook or something, you call it the Medina Israel, they call it Reshit Smichat Golotin. You know, that, that whole controversy. Now, but that's not all. <laughs> It doesn't say simply God will circumcise the foreskin of your heart and then of your children, but for a reason. Again, listen closely. That's very interesting. Is there a mitzvah in the Torah called Avaz Hashem? Oh yeah, sure. Uh, who said it? Well, God said it wrong. Moses said it, right? Now, 
in in Dvarim. Uh, saying it is not the same thing as as it happening. To Kim and think about this logically and honestly, not just cliche. That's a tall order. You love God with that intensity that it transcends anything else all the time, everywhere, and that's all you're thinking of. There's a few individuals like that. And we write about them and celebrate them. That's not that regular. Uh, it's an ideal. I think every Jew, every religious Jew, aspires to the idea of in spite of the, fact you, of the fact you say it multiple times a day. But that doesn't mean you're holding there. I mean, honestly speaking, raise your hand if you say you're That's Mamash a tall order. And especially, it, what I mean to say is like it's, that's an elite demand, but it's placed on a mass level. It's the idea you have to be a mamlechus koanim. It's a whole nation that everybody's elite. When that's just not the case. I mean, let's put it this way. The Chumash and the Tanakh and the rest of Jewish history shows you it's not the case. Maybe, maybe potentially, you can always make the theological argument that's irrefutable, you know, that everyone can do it, but it ain't push it at all. And it's extremely difficult. And as they say before, it's like a mountain peak. It's, it's an ideal that maybe you attain once in a while, maybe and maybe not. It's something, an ideal is something you aim for. So again, there's a difference between saying, yeah, Abbas Hashem, and this and that, and the other, and the mitzvah, and actually being Mekayim, you know, fully, if you're honest about this, I would say, if you're honest. If you're not honest, well, I don't care what you have to say. Now, um, so notice, what Moshe is saying here is very interesting to me. Uh, what, how do you interpret circumcised the forcing of the heart? Now, there is a certain way that's very intriguing, and that is um, Ralbag, who says that you're talking about something intellectual. Right? So, uh, how do you know God exists? I actually had this talk with somebody today in a different context. How do you know anything to, I mean, how do you know? Do you know? Don't tell me you believe. How do you know? And the answer is right now, you can't know. You believe, you take on a tradition, you accept the Messorah, and so on and so forth. How do you know in the sense of empirically? Uh, and this inability to know, even the person, what I mean to say is like this, even the person that wants to be the firmest person in the world, and believe in Hashem, belief. But how can he know? There's a possibility it's not so. It's a possibility. Unless you saw, as he puts it, Mosim Nifloim in front of your eyes, and then you know. And the Ralbag is very interesting. You know, he was a major philosopher, a very, uh, you know, shall I say, rationalistic philosopher without question. But, you know, he's, he's, he's at least doing this stuff, the tribute of taking it very seriously. He's saying, to know as opposed to be ma'amin, right? To be yodea, that's going to, that requires an act of God himself. Those Hashem made us the way we are. 
he made the world the way it is, and therefore, I, you know, I can't know. I can only believe, right? Now, people believe to the point that they're willing to give up their lives for their beliefs. You know, so the uh, emuna is not a small thing, but it's emuna. But a time will come, says the Rabbah, that that which prevents you from knowing, in other words, human cognition will qualitatively change. And they will be removed from them the covering of the heart. The heart, of course, means the mind. It doesn't mean the organ of the heart. So there's a covering on the mind that will be removed, and then you can get because there'll be, in the future, Mashiach time, whatever it is, Nisim and Flaws, they say, that'll make Egypt look like a like, like a, 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 a garnish. There's a famous prophecy. So if you see like that, then people say, okay, I know, now I know. So that's the idea that there's coming a time in the future, which apparently has to be preceded by you know, that we have to be V'shavta Hashem Elokecho, However that works, I mean, I don't know exactly how it works. It's a fascinating question. But um, in the course of that, the uh, reward, perhaps, the intellectual reward, will be that people will have what many call the cataracts that exist, the theological cataracts that exist over their eyes, will be removed, and they'll be able to see Hashem, without which it, you can't say it really. You can, you know, you can't scream at somebody and say, oh, you don't believe, you don't know, I mean, you can try and, you know, try to out from the next person, but you, you can't really know unless you see, right? Or perceive or something like that. And what's fascinating is that Moshe Rabbeinu, at least to me, Moshe Rabbeinu earlier screamed at the Jews that they should do this themselves. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Go back to uh, Akev, right? Very good. Go back to Akiv. And here's Moshe Rabbeinu in that long speech of his, which is very uh, emotional, as you know. And remember now, Moshe, the man Moses, was different than you and I because he saw God. Right? That's the point. Pel, pel, dabra, however you interpret it, I can't know what it means because I never experienced it. But, you know, but Moshe did. He was up to our Sinai and et cetera, et cetera. So Moshe, by him, it's not belief. Is a no. And he's, you know, and he's claiming to the Jewish people, and you were in Harsinai, so you should know also. And Moshe says very famously, listen closely in Akev. And he wants an Ava. And an avoda, which involves b'chol halivu b'chol anefesh, so it doesn't say exactly v'hafta shem b'chol avav but he says that elsewhere, right? Right? You know, uh, wherever the shema is, you know, uh, wherever the v'hafta is, it's over there also somewhere, right? And uh, and look what he says: umalta mesarlus lavavchem v'yarpachem losachshuod. So Moshe says, I already, I'm telling you, I'm screaming at you. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart. And don't make your necks, uh, uh, you know, hard anymore. All of which, of course, is Moshe saying, don't be so stubborn in your emuna. 
or lack of a moon or something like that, right? Now, he's saying, I want you, I'm Umaltem, I'm, I'm telling you, the Jewish people, because this is the dying speech of Moshe Rabbeinu. The whole book of Dvarim is like that, particularly the first chapters. Umaltem is, I'm telling you that I want you to circumcise the foreskin of your heart and remove all these barriers and see Hashem for what it is. For what, right? And, and, uh, but they don't do it. <laughs> That's the point. Uh, they don't do it. And here we are, a little while later, holding by the Tzam Vayelech, after, after the, um, the pronouncement of the Tochacha. Correct? I mean, how does the previous, uh, Perak end, end, in Kisavu, Eile Divrabris, Asher Tziv Hashem, Lichros Menei Sarab Eretz Moav, so these are the words that Moshe gave in Eretz Moav, meaning the, the Tochacha speech. And then he said, Atem Nisav Mayom Kolchem, etc., etc. So everything that's coming now is sort of like in the aftermath of that, the sequel to that. And he's saying, uh, okay, uh, if you don't listen, you're going to suffer the Tochacha, and I can foresee that it's going to happen. But I'm also looking past that, past the Holocaust, whichever one it is. And what comes the day after that? And what I see is, I see that there will be a, a, a return, the return will characterize Now, returning to Hashem, is not exactly the same as Avas Hashem. That's much harder. Because how can you love something like God, which is beyond Hasagas? To return, to change your lifestyle, to yearn, is easier. I mean, it's not easy, but it's easier. But Ava, not. And then he says that the Ava will come as a culmination of a process because when you return, then Hashem will gather you and bring you to Eretz Yisrael. So apparently this can only happen in Eretz Yisrael. And actually in Eretz Yisrael, which has prosperity, that's just interesting, you know. Hungry, starving people in battles—they they can't be by Avas Hashem. in the full in the full business, and then as a culmination of this messianic process, post post tochacha um, process, uh, then God will circumcise the in your heart. In other words, I see you—you you can't do it. I told you before, but you haven't done it, and you won't do it. Maybe I was asking too much. You know? Um, but Hashem will do it. So in other words, you don't have it in you to lift yourself out of the you know the rut that you're in. But if you return to Hashem with all your heart, in other words, if you say to Hashem, help me do this, I, I want to do it, I can't do it, it's too much, but I want to do it, then Hashem will do it. It doesn't say you'll return to the land of your ancestors and you'll be prosperous, and then you will circumcise the foreskin of your hearts and achieve Avas Hashem. It says that God will do it. Right? It's very interesting. It says God will do it. And if you look in the Ramban, he has this whole, you know, explanation in his way of saying that, you know, when you get, when, you know, Abola Tar so and all the rest of it, and um, a time will come where um, you go back to Adam Rish and Kodam That's basically what he says. You know, when you won't even have a tithe to do that, which is wrong. So that, that means 
that your uh, way of thinking will be radically altered, you know. Um, and, and, and then you'll be enlightened, as we would say today. And a person who's enlightened is not interested in, in drinking poison, you know, I mean, you know, like that. Uh, so, Moshe started by saying, there's a missive without Hashem. But by the time he gets to this parsha, he's already saying, yes, I gave you a mitzvah without Hashem, and it is one of the commandments, and you have to strive for it, but you won't really get it. That's why you and I, when we recite this in the Shema, or we think about it, the times that we do think about it, and all that business, I mean, you can't do that's a high madrega. Uh, take those words seriously. That's a tremendous lushan over there. And as I said before, if you're saying it's rhetoric, that's one thing, but if you're saying it's real, how does one do that? The answer you see from today's parsha is one cannot do that. God can only do it for you. Right? God can do it for you. It reminds me a little bit, not exactly, but especially in line with what the Ralbach said, of that famous observation that you find in Mesil Sishar, where um, he says in Shar Kedusha, I just remember by heart, that whoever wants to reach the level of Kedusha, it may be beyond the human capacity, but God can do it. In other words, if you really give the full try to attain the level of Kedusha, which to him means after his reasons and Zahiris and you know, Nikias and all that stuff, when you, get, when you climb to the, top, to the top of the ladder, so to speak, of those Midos, they're outlined in the Vasil Sisharim. So uh, he says words to the effect that, you know, you have to try and make your Ishtadlis. And if you give it the old school try, you mean the best you can, then God will make you capable of doing something that otherwise you weren't able to. So you'll be able to have like Dvekas 24-7. You know what I'm saying? Dvekas 24-7. This, of course, is a, a, a dis- dispute, I've always said, between the mystics and the non-mystics. The Rambam, of course, says nobody other than Moshe Arena could do it 24-7. I'm, that's not an expression. 24-7 literally means 24-7. How do you do that when you're sleeping? How do you do that when you're eating and doing regular things? So the Rambam says you can't do it then, but you but you have a lot of extra minutes in the day that you'd be surprised you could devote to, to, to just thinking about Hashem and uh, and that's the Dvekas of Although, mind you, the person, for example, who's a doctor or a lawyer or something like that, who's an honest practitioner and makes an honest living, when they're seeing to their patients or their clients, I mean, they, they're not able to take their mind of this and hold an Avas Hashem. How can somebody go and be a lawyer in a court and represent a client honestly, you know, uh, an honest lawyer? To represent a client, and at the same time, you're focused totally on Hashem. You know, it, it, it doesn't work like that. I'm reminded of, uh, I mean, you could do one or the other. Uh, now, the Messiah Hashem disagrees. He says, the person who gives it a full try, the full business, will be able to double task. Okay? And the Hasidim hold that the Rebbes can do it, whatever. But I mean, I've never seen but you know, we don't have anybody that actually could do it, or maybe once in a, in hundreds of years or so. I don't even know. Uh, one comes at the expense of the other. Now I'm reminded, you know, a guy came to me in Shul today, something about 
you know, another guy wanted to chase him out of his seat or something to that effect. I didn't quite understand what they were talking about. And I said, it reminds me of Israel Solantra's stories, you know, when he was always against people trying to mess over other people in shoals over a stupid thing like seats. And I opened my uh, Rusty Trusty Israel Solantra book. It's actually what I should use in Elul. Sefer Ama Oris HaGadolim. It's like Hasidic tales of literature, um, Gedolim, you might say, from the, the old Navardikers. But listen to this. Um, now, Rishol Salanter is not your average guy. And it's a short paragraph. It says, dibri Once Rishol Salanter was having a conversation with somebody, and while he was talking to the other guy, the other guy freaked out. He saw that the face of Rishol Salanter went into contortions. And you could see that his mind went upstairs to Shemaim. I mean, in other words, he, although he was talking to this guy, I don't know about the groceries, next thing you know, he was up there thinking hasagas neflos, you know, whoever what. And the conversation suddenly ended. And the other guy was sensitive enough to simply stop the conversation and tiptoe out of the room. <laughs> tiptoe out of the room. Vinishmi mi panava bahonis raglov balakash kadeshla fria. And, you know, tiptoe out of the room as silently as possible, not to interrupt the Sadiq Strosalanter, whose hasagas and his mind took him upstairs and was thinking, you know, whatever he was thinking of. And I don't mean he's practicing prophecy or anything like that. It means that he was thinking about. You know, Hashem and the Neshama and this and that and the other and and, and Shemayim and Gehenim. Who knows? You know, the higher thoughts. Get it? And the point is like this. He couldn't double task. That's the beauty of the story. It's like the Rambab. You could do one or the other. He obviously felt comfortable enough with his interlocutor that in the middle of the conversation about the groceries or about the carpool or whatever they were talking about, he started thinking, you know in higher madregas, and the other guy, like I said before, was sensitive enough not to interrupt him or say anything. Now, to tell you the truth, such stories you find with great people of all faiths. Uh, who is it? Uh, this is Lahavdo. Uh, I think Thomas Aquinas was talking to the king of France. All of a sudden, his mind, you know, his eyes turned away. He was just, he was el- elsewhere. And the king said, just, just bring him, uh, you know, a pen and paper, because obviously he's some Gvaldic, uh philosophical Catholic Kiddush came up to him or something like that. So the king of France says, I don't mind, you know, let him take over. Moshe Rabbeinu is saying over here, to be masig, in the full sense of and I don't mean, you know, these uh, cutesy statements you find in the Gemara, you know, of course, that's all true. But the plain meaning of it is pretty heavy. That, you know, it'll take over the entirety of you. Externally and internally. Uh, is consumed in an Avas Hashem. Whatever Moshe said earlier in the speech, and however much he harangued everybody, but it's just interesting to me that by the time you get to Nitzav and Vayelech, and he's already foreseen that the Jews are not going to listen to this, and they will undergo a tochacha, and they'll have this and that and the other. 
You're going to have to learn the hard way. Uh, it's not going to happen on its own. Instead, events will so occur that the base of Rusa del del you know, that the Jews will do something proper downstairs, which will trigger from upstairs a divine kind of intervention or spark or whatever you want to call it. And the result will be that uh, all of a sudden people will be able, they'll strip away the junk on the heart, meaning the blockage on the senses and on the way of thinking. And the entire way of thinking and relating will be transformed. And then, you know, there won't be any circumc- uh, circumcision on the heart. And as Ramban goes on so eloquently, so you'll be like, in the sense that you all of a sudden you'll say, why did I want to do an Avera ever? And why do I want to do anything other than Havas Hashem? And, you know, uh, uh, I won't be affected by what Adam, in the Messianic times, choosing the good will simply be part of, simply be part of human nature. They'll have no appetite for anything unfit, no desire for whatsoever. That's the meaning of circumcising the heart, because the the desire is the force in the heart, and one who's circumcised has no desire. So today we would say it like this. Um, I don't know if you can do it today. Uh, I'm just thinking now. Suppose somebody has was, let's say, for example, an alcoholic or some other addiction. What they'll tell you is, um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a professional in this. I, I have no experience. But what I understand is they'll tell you, listen, if you're an alcoholic, just get used to it. You'll always have the taiva. The only thing you do is fight it to the rest of your life. Isn't that right? Or a gambling addiction or smoking or anything like that. It's there. The only thing is, you can, you can fight it constantly. So it's sort of like, you know, losing weight. You can't give up, and you have to do it for the rest of your life. Because if you don't, it'll come back. Right? It'll come back. And uh, and that's the, isn't that the episode of Alcoholics Anonymous and this Anonymous and all these other kind of things? And Halavai should work. Imagine a person, for example, who was alcoholic and stopped drinking. I'm just making this up. Age of 45. And for the next 50 years, he doesn't drink. He knows that if he would go back, he'd get back into the addiction again. And the guy lived the rest of his life without that. I mean, all power to you. A guy in my shoulders told me the other day, very nice guy, that, you know, he just had 10 years of stopping smoking and he went to the hospital. Unfortunately, you know, everything's the way it should be. Nothing uh, left from the smoking thing. Uh, you know, you could do it. But that doesn't mean the taiva went away. You get what I'm saying? doesn't mean the taiva went away. Uh, I've told the story many times about LBJ, President Lyndon Johnson, who was a wild and crazy guy. And he was the senator from Texas, and he was the Senate Majority Leader in the United States Senate in the 1950s. He's legendary for managing the Senate, you know, like a puppet master. You know, he, he could get anything done in the Senate that he wanted. He had this wheeler-dealer way about him. Uh, you can look it up, and there's books and stuff all about this. And he smoked like a chimney. And in 1955 or 56, I forget exactly, he got a big heart attack. I mean, a biggie. And he was at a commission for a while, obviously. And the doctor told him, look, you know, you can have a political career or you can smoke. or make up your mind. And his taiva to succeed in politics was so powerful that it made him stop smoking. Right? And as a result, he went on to be Senate Majority Leader again and Vice President of the United States, eventually President, and got elected President in 64. 
So in other words, he, he abandoned the smoking and he wanted to have Mamash a career. He was president in the 60s with the Vietnam and the civil rights and all the other stuff. And his closest aide was Joe Califano, Joseph Califano. He was a famous lawyer and was later in the cabinet and so forth. And he wrote a memoir, you know, working under President Johnson because they were legendary for getting a lot of laws passed. You know, he, he controlled the House and the Senate like no other president. Uh, that's what happened. And it's a very interesting book, you know, all the Mishigas of Johnson as a, as a person. And what happened was that he left office in 1968, meaning the elections were held in 68 and Nixon won. So, you know, and I know in America, the following January 20 becomes the inauguration. So January 20, 1969, came the inauguration of Nixon. And then Johnson flies back from Washington, D.C. to Texas. And this guy, Joe Califano, said that I'm going to fly back with him because I'm going to show I'm not a fair weather friend. Usually the way it goes in Washington, a lot of other places, the minute you have no power, I dump you. A lot of people have friends like that. So I want to show I'm not like that, and I'm there through thick and thin. And so he said, you know, I'm going to fly back on the plane with Johnson to Texas to escort him back to his house to show that I'm a real you did. And he did. And he says, as soon as the plane took off from Washington, fly back to Texas, Johnson pulled out a a cigarette. He hadn't smoked in 15 years, but he never forgot about it for a second. And just his taiva to be politically successful and not die in office was so powerful that he wasn't smoking. But the minute it didn't matter anymore, he went back to square one. And Take killed him four years later. He wasn't old when he died. You know? And you can see pictures of his old man with those little pills that he gives you, you know, for heart attack stuff, nitroglycerin pills and stuff like that. That is not called Mol Hashem Zarecha. If you showed me somebody, and it would, I'm sure it exists, but it's rare, who said, I was an alcoholic, I was a smoker, I was this and the other, but I attained a clear Yedea now of how bad it is for me, and based on that Yedea, I no longer have any time to smoke. I see that the whole thing was a mistake from the first place, and I see it was all wrong. That would be what you call Mola Shem Zarecha. To reach that, that's what the Ramban means. To reach that Madrega is not so simple. As this, to me, oh, I'm always interested in the human factor when it presents itself. And the way these Mafarsh were presenting this issue, Moshe Rabbeinu starts by saying, Easier said than done. I mean, it's easy for him because he saw Hashem, you know. But I'm not done. Then he sees they're not listening and he says, Umaltimus are Right, What's wrong with you? Stop all that. But then as a little time goes by, Moshe sort of says, look, has to wait for Mashiach time as we say today. After then then eventually God will intervene and through divine fiat will change human nature. How will he do that? I don't know. In other words, Nisim Veniflos are coming down the road. And, you know, that'll be a, a game changer. I had this conversation, like I said, with somebody today. When you talk about immune issues, all the rest of it, don't get bound by what's in 2023. This is as far as we got in history today. Tomorrow could be a brand new paradigm of something. And uh, it's just interesting Do you see Moshe, before he dies, has gone through an entire evolution of his attitude of demanding perfection from the Jewish people. Because this is the Jewish definition of perfection. 
the Jewish definition of perfection is you find me somebody that's makayim that that's what you call a perfect person. Anybody less than that is not perfect. They could be great. They could be wonderful. No question about it. They're very high madrega. Perfect or not. So when it comes to the question of perfect, it's interesting that Moshe sort of like had to, uh, in the end, say, listen, perfection will happen only as a result of a miracle. Right? People are people. Even the Bnei Yisrael are people. And if there will be perfection, it'll happen as a result of a divine, you know, mandate in which the rules will be changed, so to speak, in a number of Yitzhar or something like that. Anyway, I want to end by saying, we're echoing once again, uh, Mazdov to Henech Morris and his wife, and to the family, and to the Chassan and the Kala, and I thank the Pollocks, and with that, I wish you a good night. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.